This is State of Water. This is State of this Water. This is State of Water. This is State of Water. State of Water coming at you right now. State of Water, a podcast focusing on clean water issues and their relationship to policy, equity, community, and climate. Featuring captivating interviews with Michiganders from many walks of life, State of Water is the official podcast of the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan, a program of the nonprofit organization Title Track. Hey, this is Jenny from Title Track. If you resonate with what you're about to hear, put those feelings into action. Take the first step toward getting involved by going to titletrackmichigan.org slash contact to sign up for our mailing list. Welcome back, friends. Thanks for lending your ears. For our final episode of 2023, we are once again turning the microphone around on State of Water host Seth Bernard. Seth has been such an inspiration for me as someone who shows up relentlessly with love and a commitment to solidarity and action. He's got such a gift for extending an authentic and heartfelt invitation to others to join the work, curiosity, with compassion, with creativity. We begin the episode with Seth sharing some end-of-year reflections on where we've been as the State of Water podcast and the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan and speaking to some of the many insights that we've learned along the way that will inform our work moving forward as we seek to deepen into our commitment to water equity, environmental justice, and climate resilience. Seth really goes deep in the second half of our conversation, vulnerably sharing of his passionate commitment to being in solidarity with the Palestinian people and how heavy this moment is weighing on his heart, the grief, horror, anger, and overwhelm that so many of us are feeling right now with the ongoing devastation in Gaza is so incredibly heavy. I hope that this conversation with Seth can serve as a powerful portal for you into deeper empathy, understanding, and love and action. The world surely needs it. Just like in our last episode, you'll be hearing music throughout this episode from Headwaters, a beautiful new instrumental album from Seth. All proceeds from this album go to support the work of Middle East Children's Alliance. They are providing emergency assistance to families who have fled their homes amidst the ongoing attacks in Gaza. Also, please check out the links to the other wonderful artists, activists, and organizations that Seth mentions throughout the episode. All of those are shared in the show notes. All right, let's get right into this conversation with Seth Bernard. All right. I'm Chris Good, Communications Director for Title Track and the Clean Water Campaign, and so happy to be here with Seth Bernard, host of State of Water Podcast, turning the microphone around again here today. Seth, just first, just thank you so much for being willing to uh to share reflections from your One Water Summit. 
experience in the last episode. That was really powerful, really beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for the suggestion, both for that episode and for this one. Any, uh, a month out here, any lingering reflections or new insights that you'd like to share, kind of add on to that last episode? Yeah, it's been really cool to, um, to have conversations with people um, that connect back to some of what I learned and experienced there. Um, what comes to mind immediately right now is I, I belong to the YMCA and in the Traverse City Central YMCA, they've got a pretty nice sauna. And so um, there's a couple guys that I run into in there pretty consistently. Um, and one of them, um, what we were talking about water and he we were, he was asking me what I do. And I was talking about, you know, my music career, but also that I do work in the water sector because it related immediately to the conversation we were having. And he started asking questions about, you know, what I do and what's going on. There was another guy there that was talking about PFAS and fracking. And, and I had just been at the one water summit. So I just unloaded a ton of information on these guys. And the, the first guy was like, wow, you're not a nut job environmentalist at all. You're very well-spoken and well-educated. And it was just like, thank you. You know, it was sort of like, wow, that, you know, it's so interesting that people have preconceptions, but that they also like, you know, some of our biases, um, not only get in the way of us connecting with other people, but also like they sort of hide the fact that we're not that different. We're not that far apart. You know what I mean? So like this guy cared a lot about clean water, you know, and some of the, and I talked about narratives in the last episode and the narrative change group. And he's just sort of prescribing to a slightly different narrative than I am in terms of what an environmentalist is, what like a, you know, the general idea of someone who might identify as an environmentalist, but he cares a lot about the environment and obviously recognizes how important it is to protect the water. And we, we had great conversations, struck up a friendship. I've seen him many times since then. He asked me what, what's new, what's new in the world of water, you know? (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. I really appreciated that narrative change piece in, in the last episode. And I know when I got to go to that, conference a couple years back really struck me just how how refreshing it felt just to be in the midst of folks from so many different sectors you know to think about not only the environmentalists you know the frontline activists but to be in the same room with policymakers or or municipal utility folks you know water treatment sewage treatment and just be able to like yeah share stories and insights and, and learn from those folks as well you know set you up to to really represent there in the silence it's great as we tossed water on the rocks and felt the healing effects of the steam yeah yeah so powerful to feel that mutual respect and curiosity uh, across different elements of the water sector to 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 learn about what people are doing like multiple conversations about stormwater runoff and like all of these different examples and people geeking out about it and sharing about it just as one example. And then to have some of these folks who are like immersed in their municipal work 
really lean into curiosity about what what's up with environmental justice, what's up with water equity, what are these folks in the narrative change group talking about? And to feel that, um, you know, sort of lifting all boats, to use another water metaphor, it was profound, just really beautiful. Oh, that's great. That's inspiring. Well, if folks haven't had a chance to check out that last episode um, with Seth sharing kind of a travel log style reflections of of his experience at the One Water Summit, please, please check that out. Um, so yeah, while we're here, while we were working kind of on that last episode, inspiration came to uh, continue the conversation here with Seth, Clean Water Campaign, State of Water. Um, just to kind of have a check-in here as far as things you feel like you've learned, maybe some things, you know, you feel um, proud of, of, of what we've accomplished. Um, and then what's, what's uh, energizing you? What's inspiring you for what, what's to come? Mm, yeah, thanks for asking. You know, I, I was thinking about this um, as I, as I, conducted the last couple of state of water interviews. And, and as I've participated in some of these end of year water, water equity, climate resilience caucus calls, that it's really been an interesting journey for me with the clean water campaign, really starting as this very scrappy grassroots effort to use music and storytelling to, um, to galvanize all of this support for clean water in Michigan around a very, very important election cycle in, in 2018. And so starting in November of 2017, convening a lot of these wonderful environmental groups that have inspired me that I've worked with and partnered with for a long time through Earthwork Music, Michigan League of Conservation Voters, Groundwork, Flow, um, Clean Water Action. Um, all sort of saying, hey, I have this vision. I want to do this work. Will you help me? Can we work together on this? Can we share a vision? And everyone was so supportive, particularly Groundwork that was, um, we worked under their umbrella before Title Track was officially its own nonprofit. And uh, I remember, you know, you and I just having those early conversations of just like, are we going to do this? We want to do this? And it's like, yeah, this is what we want to do. We want to do these interview interviews. We want to interview people running for office and and really try to move these clean water issues toward the center of the conversation. And this is in the direct aftermath of the Flint water crisis, the Detroit water shutoffs, and the ongoing crisis of water privatization, especially with the Nestle situation, which now Nestle has been bought out by Blue Triton brands, but they continue to extract water in Macosta County. So really these three issues of um of like you know essentially like wa- the the clean water movement in Michigan being a water justice movement and saying anyone running for office anyone who is going to be elected needs to be able to speak clearly about their plans to 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 be um to represent the people uphold the human right to clean water and to protect the Great Lakes. Um, and line five is the other issue. Line five is the other issue. So it's like the Detroit water shutoffs and the, and the Flint water crisis really speak to, you know, water equity and um, privatization, you know, was front and center and has been for almost two decades now, really. 
uh, with the Nestle situation, Ice Mountain. And then line five has now become a national issue. And a couple of uh, episodes ago, we spoke with Bill Latka, you know, eight years later um, about how this is now becoming a national issue. And since that episode, we've seen Representative Tlaib bring it up, bring it directly to the president that this is you need to shut this down. This need, This is your business now. So it is quickly becoming a national issue and hitting the national radar. So back in 2018, it was like, let's interview all the candidates we can, anyone who's thrown their hat in to be governor or attorney general. And a lot of people were willing to talk to us. Let's make some videos. Let's talk about water and make beautiful videos with uh, beautiful music behind them and and have storytelling, have people tell their own stories. and. Um, so that first year was was very much like a campaign that was focused around a desired outcome to elect clean water candidates. And it's obviously nonpartisan is about voter education and candidate education. And um, what a powerful and, and scrappy way for us to launch this thing. And over time, I found myself getting brought into actual policy work at the federal level through the Water Equity Climate Resilience Caucus. And for us to use this podcast as a way to amplify voices from across the region, consistently talking about water from so many different angles. Again, storytelling, people telling their own stories, people talking about their work, their history, um, and, and weaving in stories of arts and culture and music all throughout. Um, and it was some friends in Detroit who recommended me to join the, the caucus. And since then, I've be, we Title Track are core members. So we're involved in um, both the Narrative Change Group and the Federal Policy Advocacy Group. We attend the caucus convenings. We're invited to go to the One Water Summit each year. And, um, and recently have, have been um, involved in some really cool uh, musical collaborations, both uh, Water Song with Monica Lewis Patrick and um, Amber Hassan, and then this Water Sounds collage that came about last summer through field recordings from various members of the caucus. So it's really meaningful for me to have had this journey take me from a very local and then statewide level to now a very national a, a national level where I'm learning from and working with some of the most inspiring and admirable frontline environmental justice leaders that are out there. Um, and we'll be convening in uh, the first week of March in New Orleans uh, with the Gulf Coast Center for Law and Policy hosting us, uh, which is one of the partners of the Water Equity and Climate Resilience Caucus. So um, we'll see about how how this next year shapes up, I think one of the desires is to broaden the State of Water podcast to not just include voices from Michigan, but to include national voices. Um, and then also to get back into some of this leveraging that we can do of educating policymakers and leveraging policy um, through the arts and through, through, um, visionary imagination and and creativity and uh you know toward the end of the one water summit i got into some great conversations with folks who who are working in similar ways 
kind of wearing both hats of being an artist and being someone that's involved in policy. And I'm still very much learning from people who have more experience and expertise in, in the world of policy. Um, but there's a role that artists play, you know, and the way that we start with nothing and create something um, has a place in, in the world of shaping law and policy um, is visionary work and there's magic to it. And um, it's, it's, it also makes that world feel more accessible to everyday people who that world impacts. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, and and really appreciated some of those reflections in the last episode too, just about the artist role, not, you know, when truly invited to the table to not only like write a song for this thing, you know, but to actually be a part of shaping the culture of how the organizing, how the work actually happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I started doing cold plunges at the beginning of the clean water campaign. And now it's been six years of at six least years. one month in the cold water spring. Wow. You want to speak any more about that? Well, I started it, it, you know, dedicating myself to the work of water justice, to, to being an ally, to being a partner um, and recognizing that I I'm walking with a lot of privileged, you know, unearned benefits um, and the privilege of being able to choose discomfort rather than live with it constantly to be able to have pure, clean water. I mean, everybody should be able to turn on their tap and, and have pure water come out of it. And I have always had that through my whole life. It's never been threatened. Um, and, and, and here's this beautiful resource just down the hill from my house, this spring fed pond. Um, so part of it was recognizing the, you know, the health benefits and, um, wanting to fortify myself, having come out of a pretty challenging time in my life and feeling really alive and kind of just gritty and, and facing, um, I mean, your body goes into shock but it also then shows you how alive it is when you do a cold plunge. And then when you get out, you feel kind of enlivened by it. And there's this warmth that comes from your core. So for me to experience that and know that it's good for me and to do something that I might not feel like doing, but I know is good for me as a healthy practice. But then also part of the sort of spiritual and, um, you know, the the element of activism within it is to sort of have it be a symbol of my dedication to the work, you know, and um, and lately um, it's it's gone, you know, a level deeper for me. I'm able to stay in longer. And when you stay in longer, you start to face some some heavier things um, and things get a little bit more raw and emotional. So it's a way for me to connect with you know, my inner child, it's a way for me to feel the pain of liberation struggles all across this world, to apply myself to solidarity with the people of Gaza um, and their struggle for clean water, their struggle for their their lives and their futures and their families. Um, and it's also a way for me to grieve, you know, what whatever needs to needs to um whatever i need to grieve 
if it's the loss of a very, very dear friend, um, uh, I, I, I often will go in on a friend's birthday. I have a, a number of very close friends who are in the spirit world. And when I'm in there on their birthday, I'm, I'm with them. Mm. Mm. Beautiful. I guess another thing I'll add to it is that I started using these quart jars instead of like a pint glass. I'll never go back, you know, why not go, why not drink more water? Mm. Well, thanks for all that, Seth. spoke to it there a little bit already um you know one thing we 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 talk a lot about in our work is just the the human right water clean water clean affordable water as as a human right um and i know i know the situation in gaza and palestine right now is is really heavy on your heart and i've so appreciated how you've been showing up in the world in solidarity amid such a heavy time um would love to just give a little little more space um if you're willing to reflect share with our listeners you know who care deeply about water equity about um about human rights about justice issues you know how how you see this moment how you see this issue uh relating so it's what we're up to here in here in michigan yeah, thank you for inviting that, Chris. It's been really heavy on my heart for a lot of years. Um, I've worked with the nonprofit on the ground um, for pretty consistently for about 12 years and have been aware of the international human rights work that the founder of the organization, Chris Treater, who's a very dear friend of mine, has been up to for about 16 years. And, um, and they've done work in solidarity with olive farmers um, in the fair trade olive oil space in Palestine. And I helped support uh, the run across Palestine as the, um, as the director of the musical ambassador program for on the ground. So this is the program that brought May Earlywine and I to Ethiopia 12 years ago, um, where we created an album and collaborated with Ethiopian musicians and lifted up the work of, uh, coffee farmers there in the birthplace of commercial coffee. And then after that, there was a, a run and uh, Joshua Davis was the musical ambassador in Palestine. And he created a brilliant album called A Miracle of Birds. Um, and Josh is Jewish uh, and American. Um, and uh, there's a film also, The People in the Olive, that people can check out about that run that documents it. Um and uh, became friends with some really amazing Palestinian folks through this work, uh, long-term friendships and people who've come to Michigan and a lot of uh, Michiganders have gone to Palestine. And, and then after that was the run across Congo doing also coffee work in the Congo and uh, Ben Cohen and Akili Jackson were the musical ambassadors. And so I supported that work. 
and raise money for um, solidarity with with the people in the Congo, where there's uh, an active genocide taking place as well. More than six million people have been killed there uh, through the through the years of this conflict, and it's largely under the radar. Um, and uh, usually, there's a resource extraction element to um, military operations on a large scale and, and genocide. There, there's been resource extraction in the pillaging of, um, of the earth and of of human labor all throughout the history of colonialism and worldwide colonial expansion, and it's a very important part of our history that's very hard to look at, and it's really coming to a head now. It feels like so. Um, I, um, I'm Armenian. Armenian American and um growing up I grew up on Earthward Farm here in northern Michigan my parents are farmers and very much involved with community and community building very much involved with activism my mom was one of the first Vista volunteers uh in under Bobby Kennedy the the first group of 12 people that went out into rural America to do this work. And that's how she met my dad in the upper peninsula. She was working as a Vista volunteer in Marquette when they met. And um, she grew up in Southern California and that's the, the biggest um, population of Armenians in the Armenian diaspora. And so her, uh, my grandpa, Raphael Cilician, um, he grew up, uh, his parents fled Armenia and um, his grandpa, Grandpa Devarian, was the mayor of Hajin, Armenia in Western Armenia, which is now known as Eastern Turkey. Um, and he gathered his family together and they fled during a horrible genocide at the beginning of the 20th century. And they found community with other Armenians in New York and they started a, a restaurant called the Golden Horn, where my grandpa worked. And uh, the Armenian-American writer William Saroyan used to hang out there, and he wrote about it in his novels. Uh, all of these amazing athletes and, and musicians and artists would hang out there. Mickey Mantle, Billie Holiday, Lena Horne. It was a spot, and it was, it was Armenian hospitality that made that place glow. Hmm. And... One of the things that is so powerful to me that I've learned in my travels and about studying my own history is the, the overflowing of human kindness that comes from oppressed people. People feel this when they go to Ireland. You know, people feel this when they go to Palestine. People feel this when they're hanging out with Armenians. And I know that Jewish people feel this too, and Jewish people have gone through horrific oppression and um, and and genocide and have banded together and preserved their culture, and it's been so beautiful. And I've benefited so much from Jewish people in my life and Jewish culture. And I have I have seen in the last 75 days of this siege Jewish people honoring the suffering of their ancestors and doing the work of healing to stand up for the Palestinian people and to acknowledge their oppression and to, to do the very difficult work 
uh, the very difficult work of saying this is not right this is this is wrong and the government of israel is committing crimes against humanity here and it's a very challenging position for people to be in because there's been so many decades of a, a dominant narrative that dehumanizes Palestinian people in their struggle, that covers up the systematic oppression of Palestinian people, the stealing of their land, the destruction of their culture, the continued killing of innocent people, the, the murder of children, people being unlawfully detained, held as hostages by the state. And it's a very, very tense moment in human history because so much is riding on this. And our country, the United States, was founded in genocide. And I know as an American, when I travel around the world and I hear people who have been affected by America's foreign policy, when they're ranting about America, I never take it personally. I listen to their stories. I know they're not talking about Noam Chomsky. They're not talking about Jimi Hendrix. They're not talking about me. They're talking about our foreign policy, the military industrial complex, our government. And it's so sad to acknowledge that oftentimes some of the worst people among us get into the highest positions of power in the system that we live in. And, and we have to speak truth to power. We have to band together as working class people across the world to find our shared humanity and our, our, our shared goals, our shared struggle. And, and I will always be anti-war and I will always be pro-veteran. And, and the, some of the most profound healing I've ever seen in my life is combat veterans supporting each other. Supporting each other's healing. And these are working class people that were kids when they joined the military to protect and to serve. And many of the combat veterans that I know in my community that I grew up with or that I've come to know and love and respect are they're doing the heavy lifting of of healing each other and it's not uncle sam that's supporting their healing and it's a beautiful thing to see peace advocates peace activists human rights activists stand with veterans to say no that was when things really hit the next level at standing rock when the veterans showed up and I'm seeing a lot of veterans raise their voices and use their expertise and their knowledge to say how wrong this is, what's been happening for 75 days. And colonial oppression will always be met with violent resistance. That's a quote that came from U.S. combat veteran Greg J. Stoker, who's a powerful, powerful voice on Instagram right now. Uh, what a redemptive thing for someone who is working special ops in Afghanistan to use that knowledge and expertise to break down the indoctrination that we're receiving to try to paint the oppressor as the victim. And never before have we seen a military power like Israel paint itself as the victim while 
exercising systematic oppression. And we're not talking about just the 75 days of this brutal siege, but we're talking about 75 years since the Nakba in 1948, where 750,000 Palestinians were driven off of their land and many thousands were killed. And this is, so you look at the population of Gaza, these are the, these are the people, these are all refugees, people that came from the Nakba and many, many, many orphans of war and of conflict. Then in 1967, more land was stolen and the occupation began. Since, since then, we've seen the decimation of ancestral olive groves in the West Bank. Illegal settlement, settlements keep getting put up. And, and so many Jewish folks in the diaspora and in Israel are standing up and, and saying, this is wrong. You're telling us lies and we're not here for this. And I, I have friends in Israel. I just spoke with my dear friend, Vanya, who is a tremendous electric guitar player. Speaking of Jimi Hendrix, Vanya Zhuk right there with him. And every single Saturday, there are huge protests that are growing, protesting Netanyahu's administration. And on the first day of the siege, it was water that was cut off. You know, the, the, the weaponization of water is some of the worst crimes against humanity that have been committed against people. And water has been poisoned, water has been cut off. And now we're seeing mass starvation of a captive population of people. It's the most horrific thing I've ever seen in my life. Two million people have no homes. These people didn't have a military, didn't have citizenship, didn't have a state long before all of this. And going back to that Stoker quote, Colonial oppression will always be met with violent resistance. So when people say Hamas is the problem, there will always be a Hamas when there's colonial oppression. Beyond that, Hamas was voted into power with a 44% non-majority and 44% of the people that voted for them we're voting for an entity that was propped up by the government of Israel. Israel invested in Hamas. This is very well documented. There are many interviews with Netanyahu where he talks about propping up Hamas instead of the PLO. So the propaganda machine and the investments of the state of Israel. And again, I'm talking about the state of Israel. I stand in solidarity with the people of Israel. I celebrate the culture of Jewish people across the world. And I know the principles of Judaism are very, very different from what we've seen go down in the last 75 years of the oppression of the Palestinians and in the last 75 days where it's, a, it's been a, a genocide that has disproportionately affected innocent women and children. The, the, none of these children voted for Hamas, by the way, just to, just to also touch on that argument. And I'm emotional about this for every reason, and I, and I feel absolutely comfortable in being emotional about this. I feel irate. I'm horrified. I'm disgusted with the lack of action from my fellow Americans who have more agency than most people in the world to speak truth to power and yet don't use it, who don't recognize that as taxpayers, our dollars are funding these bombs. And we're talking about 2,000 pound bombs being dropped in densely populated residential areas. We're talking about 10,000 children killed in 75 days in cold blood 
just an absolute mass execution of innocent people. Every single day in my Instagram see, feed, I'm seeing traumatized people pulling their, their dead babies from the rubble. And this is funded by our tax dollars. So it is my business every single day of my life to stand up against this and say, free Palestine, cease fire now. And for us to put an end to colonial oppression and to imperial power and to war as a solution for anything for the rest of our lives, it needs to be done. We need to be done with this. We need better ways of being together as, as human beings. We need to stand up collectively as, as humankind. And this is the great gift that the Palestinian people have given to the world in this moment, is you see millions of people all across the world, especially the youth, recognizing the lies that have been spread about this sort of idea that the United States military uh, involvement in the world is all for the greater good, that our colonization of the world with 800 military bases is a peacekeeping mission. And to recognize that the very, very few that are extremely, just disgustingly wealthy have tremendous power that they don't deserve and that they are not wielding responsibly. And a lot of us are, are waking up to our own power and our own agency to be able to say, I am standing for liberation across the world. And so this, this liberation battle has cast light on the liberation of, of people in the Congo, of children working to mine the precious metals that go into our phones so that we can have a new phone every three years. And these tech companies planned obsolescence relies upon slave labor and a genocide. And, and, and that a lot of these military operations. I mean, we were in our twenties when the invasion of Iraq happened and our trauma from nine 11 was weaponized to go and execute hundreds of thousands of innocent people in, in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we were called un-American to stand against that war. And it was based on lies and America and Israel have always relied on a narrative that focuses on some boogeyman and Islamophobia to cast fear, to, to make people afraid of the boogeyman and think, yeah, go get that boogeyman. But that's not what has been happening. 90% of the casualties in this conflict between Israel and Palestine have been Palestinian in the last 35 years and long before that. So it's like it goes on and on and on. And social media can be a, a, a total dumpster fire. But one thing that we've seen that it's been good for is for people to use their agency to share information, to find community. And, and we found community and solidarity across the world in this liberation struggle. And we've also seen real leadership, real heroes beyond like propping up billionaires as like people to look up to in some toxic idea that hoarding wealth is what we're supposed to do. The real heroes are the motas and Bizan and the journalists on the front lines. There are a, a lot of young journalists that are English speaking that are very active on Instagram. And we've seen them become the heroes of the world in the last couple months. Telling the truth, nonviolent direct action, 
And I think that this will influence generations to come. And we're going to see major changes in our world. And so when we're talking about water equity, we're talking about the decolonization of water. We're talking about water as a human right. We all need to stand with Gaza, the people of Gaza, to uphold their right to clean water, their uphold, uphold their right to be alive and to have a future and to have a voice. And in no way does that threaten the lives of Israeli people. I don't see anyone calling for the end of, to, to, to try to retaliate. This is, the lesson here is that revenge doesn't work. That war doesn't work. That killing is not an answer. This is a this is a problem that requires humanitarian assistance and a political solution. And when people are saying from the river to the sea, when Representative Tlaib, who's been our greatest ally in the U.S. Congress in every water issue that we've ever worked on, she's joined calls with our caucus to strategize with us, to help us learn how things can get passed. She's the first person to talk about line five on the national stage. First person to stand up for water equity and affordability provisions. The only Palestinian in Congress. How sick is it that instead of recognizing these crimes in humanity, we try our government, which is absolutely funded by APAC through the state of Israel, absolutely complicit in this mass slaughter of innocent people, tries to censure her and censure her and 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 silence her voice but when she says from the river to the sea it's about being able to walk from the river to the sea which palestinians can't do just to just to be in their own ancestral homelands and we can do that people want to do that the majority of israeli and palestinian people do want to coexist. People across the world want to be able to live together. Working class people around the world just want to take care of our babies and have clean water for ourselves, our elders, our children to drink. It's pretty simple. That's what we're here for. That's what I'm here for every day of my life. just want to give give a shout out to headwaters the recent album that you shared with us and we featured in our last episode and and all the all the proceeds from that album are going to the middle middle eastern children's alliance um could you share just a little bit more about their work yeah so uh middle east children's alliance mecca for peace if you want to look them up on social media it's based in the Bay Area, and they work directly with folks in Gaza and Syria supporting children. So for years before this siege, they were doing mostly work in schools in Gaza. And then since then, 
It has been direct action supporting families, helping families find safety and meet their basic immediate needs. And um, so another thing I want to say about Palestinian solidarity is I have some really, really dear friends I want to give shout outs to uh, in that are Palestinian, one of whom is Vivian Sanser, who's the, the founder of the Palestine Heirloom Seed Library, uh, which is a really beautiful organization. She does amazing work and has traveled all over the world. Most recently did a residency at Harvard. She's in upstate New York now working on a book. Check out her work, listen to her speak in her interviews. And then the other is my dear brother, Ayad Arafa, who is a Palestinian artist living in Bethlehem. Um, and I'm going to visit Ayad, if I can make it in there safely in February. Um, and then also my friend Nasser, who's very involved in uh, olive oil fair trade. But Ayad is a phenomenal artist if you look him up, A-Y-E-D-A-R-A-F-A-H. Um, and he's he's become famous for some work that he did on the wall and um, work that he art that he's created to uplift um, Palestinian voices. And he works with kids a lot. I had came to Earthwork Farm and lived with us a couple summers ago as an artist in residence. And I learned so much from him about what his life has been like living in a refugee camp and it just horrific and also the most beautiful stories of community and of, of resilience and of community care that we have to learn from. We feel more disconnected than ever. It's an epidemic of isolation in America. And in a lot of these more marginalized and oppressed communities that I've visited and connected with people from, community is palpable. People know each other. People are in each other's business and people are caring for each other's kids. And it's 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 beautiful so um so through through some solidarity work that i've done with palestine knowing um knowing my heart someone made a an anonymous donation to the middle east children's alliance um on my behalf many years ago and i got this wonderful letter from them saying thank you for your donation of five hundred dollars i was like wow so <laughs> then from then on I became an annual donor. I follow their work and they're doing amazing work. And I just gave uh, uh, the first installment of the proceeds from Headwaters to the Middle East Children's Alliance. Headwaters is, um, so the, the spring-fed pond that I do my cold plunges in is the headwaters of a creek that has the, no name that dumps into Lake Skigamok that I look out over here at my house. And a lot of this work was, um, it's very place-based. It's me finding peace, playing instrumental music, writing these little songs that give me comfort, that help me regulate my nervous system. And I've learned from my elders and I've just learned through trial and error that I need to take care of myself in every way possible to stay with this work, that this work is very intense and that if I don't, um, if, if I'm not very um, vigilant about drinking a lot of water every day, getting a lot of sleep, doing things that help replenish my spirit and my nervous system that I will burn out. And I have in the past, and I've seen it happen to some of the best of us. It just takes too much out of us. Um, but sometimes the work also fills our tank and, and we find community and we find um 
people that have the same heart, people coming from different walks that share similar analysis about what it is that we need to be up to at this time. Sometimes we're we're a little beat up from swimming upstream against sort of the status quo of like, yeah, we're just going to consume and sort of feed capitalism here and go along with our lives. But then there are others who sort of resist that. And, um, and when you find other people in that way, it's like, yeah, I see you, you just knowing you, just knowing that you're out there, just thinking about you, just picturing your face in my mind's eye is a gift to my whole body and heart and spirit. So all of these things, and for me, a music, music, I talk about it all the time. So this was sort of like, how can I put something out there as a gift to to people and through a time where I've been dealing with health issues and I found myself at home through the support of my community um, with a really generous GoFundMe and um, and uh, and a benefit concert that really blew my mind, having my friends sing my songs back to me and raise money for me. And how beautiful and how kind and also how horrific that even though I have health insurance, I still have thousands of dollars of medical bills going in and out of the ER over and over for them to not have any answers for me while my tax dollars are being spent to wage war on innocent people in other parts of the world. Horrific. And yet there are these stories of helpers that come out of the horrors of the world all through history. And I'm so grateful to live in community with helpers. And some of these people aren't even on social media. You'll never see them. You know, you'll never look at their follower count or see them in your Spotify rap, but they're like out there doing it, you know? And um, so Headwaters is like stuff that I made to, to heal myself and I share it in the spirit of healing and all the money goes toward Middle East Children's Alliance. Also just dropped a single. Um, and this was a little bit more of like a, music is also an emotional release for me. And I can channel the darkest of emotions through my electric guitar. And it's been a really healthy thing for me. Um, and so I did a version of Silent Night at the Traverse City, at the Opera House, in, at the City Opera House in Traverse, uh, and my last show of the year, um, and released that to support Doctors Without Borders, who um, are really, uh, I mean, we could go on and on about the number of hospitals bombed, all these human rights groups that have lost people, hundreds of doctors and people from the, the UN and Human Rights Watch have been killed indiscriminately. Just last weekend, innocent people were bulldozed into the earth and killed in front of a hospital. These, these hospitals are completely overrun. Most of them are not functional, have been bombed. Um, Doctors Without Borders is a tremendous organization that, that anyone can support. And it's, it's just what it says. It's people who are recognizing that their work as doctors is, is valuable in human rights hotspots all across the world and are willing to travel and, and put their skills to use to support people and, and in some ways put themselves in harm's way, which they absolutely have in Gaza. Um, so it's just a little something that I can do. And it's like, 
What can I do? People ask that question. Follow that question. You can do anything. You know, imagine yourself doing something and then do it. You know, you can call for a ceasefire. You can talk to your family. You can call your representatives every day. What sectors do you belong to? Are you a teacher? You can learn about how educators are being killed. Schools have been destroyed. Organize educators to make a stand. Organize educators to go on a strike. And there's strikes almost every week now, just about every Monday. And that's where it's really hitting the global economy, which is sad, but it's effective. You know, I mean, the the UK prime minister called for a ceasefire as soon as BP got hit in the pocketbook. It wasn't the 10,000 kids getting killed. It was the the profit margin of BP, which he has he has a financial stake in. And it's like, oh, the veil gets lifted a little bit each time people come together to stand for liberation. And I, I am hopeful that this could be a turning point in human history. And again, I'm here for it. And I want to invite anyone who's been afraid to step into this work. It's not too late. Step into it. Be brave. You will never regret it. I promise you will never regret it. But if if people look back on not standing up against the U.S. invasion of Iraq, people look back and didn't stand up against the Nazis, they absolutely regret it, you know. And it, a lot of times history tells us when fascism, when when unjust, when when horrific crimes against humanity happen, a lot of times it's in retrospect that the masses see it. And a lot of times the state will co-opt the heroes and sort of wash over how they were anti-imperialist. So on this upcoming Martin Luther King Day in a couple of weeks, when this happens, remember, Martin Luther King was anti-war. He stood against imperialism and he stood with Palestine. Mm. Well, thank you so much, Seth. Appreciate all that you bring, all that you share, your heart, your art your commitment to justice, your community building, your relationship tending and, and, and your work, your work with this podcast too, just lifting up so many incredible, incredible voices and incredible stories. And I've learned so much from you with you. And, and, and I know I'm, uh, I'm not alone in that. So, so thank you so much for being willing to, to share here today. Thank you for allowing me the opportunity to speak my truth and tell my story. And, um, you know, I, I am so grateful to work with you. I'm looking forward to the work ahead. by the Clean Water Campaign for Michigan. This campaign represents an opportunity to help place clean water issues front and center by partnering with environmental organizations across the state, by educating voters, and by urging every candidate running for public office to make a strong stand on critical issues affecting Michigan's waters. Using storytelling and music events across the state to amplify the groundswell of public support for clean water issues, 
This campaign is driven by Michiganders from all walks of life who share a similar priority, protection of our water. Both State of Water and the Clean Water Campaign are programs of the Michigan-based nonprofit Title Track. Their mission, engaging creative practice to build resilient social ecological systems that support clean water, racial equity, and youth empowerment. <laughs>